and welcome to the Modern Maker Podcast. Today is Thursday, February 7th, otherwise known as Old Rock Day. Whatever that nice. means. Are the, is, there any, is there any such thing as new rocks? I don't think so. Like, I would argue that all rocks are kind of the same age. Yeah. Oh, are we talking stones or music? Oh, it wasn't specific. <laughs> is it old, old rock is just like a, a dysphemism for classic rock? Maybe, yeah. I was Old thinking more rock. geological, but I was thinking <laughs> yeah, geological we could be talking too. About Tom Petty too, right? <laughs> hey, come on, too soon, buddy. <laughs> oh, you're right. R.I.P. <laughs> Choose somebody else. <laughs> yeah. Old rocks. Hmm. Yeah. Well, nothing to say on I that. I mean, I would like to work more stone and like granite and marble into some of my projects. So I guess those are all old rocks. Yeah, you're in the right place. Hmm. So what have you guys been working on? Well, I've been trying to wrap up these conference tables. We had the one week of terrible, terrible Joshua Tree weather that really kind of set me behind a little bit. Uh, really windy, really rainy. Yeah, and so, can you guys work when it's raining? Because you work pretty much outside. Yeah, I was working in the living room for the most part, but it was a struggle <laughs> when your living room is 12 feet wide and the conference tables you're building are 10 feet long. Mm. And so yeah. I got as much as I could done, but when it came to painting the bases and throwing finish on and some of the smaller things like that, I kind of got stuck waiting you, quite a bit this week. But You were uh, literally working on your conference table. <laughs> yeah. Like on top talk. of. Yeah, I just had the conference tables on two by fours on the floor and I was just walking from one to the other and they were right next to each other. So while I was working on one, I was standing on the other for the most part. Very but nice. they're wrapping up okay. Last week I got a little ahead of myself because the project was going really well and I expected to have it done the day after we recorded the podcast, but it's been a few things like that. But the big the big problem which I don't know, maybe this can lead into a little bit of a conversation or a little tangent is I had quite a few things go wrong in this project. A few of them were my fault. A few of them were still my fault, but not completely. And and I'll explain. Let's hear them. Yeah, list them out one by one. Okay, so the first big problem that was my fault was a design error where, for some reason, I thought that if I had four legs that were kind of towards the corner of the table on each each corner, Uh that I could do a double layer plywood top with no support in the center. Mm, How big is the table again? Eight feet... I've got a seven foot span between the feet and for some reason I thought that the the plywood being two layers thick would be enough that it wouldn't have any bow in the center but it did so I had to go through quite a few different things to figure out how I could get the the bow out of the center of the table which I did in hindsight it would have been great if I just had more connectors that way I could have added a center post using all of the chain link fence fittings that I'd used on everything else but it takes about six days to get any of those parts in. And mm. so I was trying to think of, you know, what I could do in the meantime just to get the project done and show a good kind of problem solving situation in the video. Um, I got that figured out. It wasn't a big deal. All good there. But what I didn't notice when I bought the plywood, which was three quarter inch radiata plywood, which you've heard me, Ben, talk about all the time on how much we love it, mainly because the face veneer, the A side, is just as thick as the inner plies. Mm -hmm. And so you end up having, you know, somewhere between a 16th and an eighth of an inch face veneer, which is really great, especially when you're working with a little bit more basic tools with a little bit margin for error. That way you can kind of sand things clean. You don't have to worry so much. 
But what I didn't notice when I bought these specific panels, which I should have noticed when I bought, but I but I just wasn't paying enough attention, was that this was the thinnest veneer I have ever seen. Hmm. The, it, like the veneer for this pine was thinner than any maple or walnut hardwood veneer, and once I started sanding. I was just ripping through the face veneer. Like it would take two seconds of sanding and I was, and I was through it. It was really, really strange. And so I switched to sanding everything with 320 grit sandpaper. So I wouldn't just eat through it Mm -hmm. immediately. And long story short, each of the tabletops had small parts where I sanded through the veneer Mm -hmm. on one tabletop. It was towards an edge where I had to, uh, yeah, I just sanded the edge a little bit too much, and I went straight through ven- through the veneer. And then on the other one was right down the center where I had to... So I have a 10-foot tabletop, which the top layer is two 5-foot pieces of plywood with a seam in the center. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, obviously I got that as clean as possible, threw in a little bit of wood filler, and I went to sand that down, and there was some parts where I exposed uh, okay. the core of that plywood too. And so, yeah, it was disappointing because I was on the last step, you know, mm-hmm. whenever something goes wrong, whenever you're planning on just sanding, finish, done, that's always really frustrating. So today I'm going to be masking off all of those areas with some cool designs and I'm going to be painting nice. them so I can kind of cover everywhere I sanded through the veneers. Uh, it's not a perfect solution. I ran through a couple of different options. One of them was melt crayons in it. Yeah, I could melt crayons in it. Perfect. Uh, One of the solutions I was thinking, it was actually the first, because I was already using the router quite a bit on this project. I was using it to carve out recesses for power strips within the tabletop. Mm -hmm. So I've already got the router all set up, and I thought, oh, I could use that to basically, whether it was the seam in the center of the table or the other section, I could do something to where I route out a groove halfway through the tabletop, maybe do some kind of walnut or hardwood kind of strip. Mm Mm-hmm and glue that in place, get it nice and flush. But the more I thought of that is like, oh, damn, all I'm doing is making more seams that I'm going to have to sand. I'm just going to sand through those (laughs) layers of plywood. Uh, Decided to go with paint. I think it's still going to look nice. My big problem is I've got a really large tabletop, a metal base, and I'm painting a line right down the center of the table so i really don't want it to look like a ping pong table um (laughs) so that's really the only thing i'm fighting against but i think with the power strips being integrated into the top uh the power strips being white i think it'll help everything look really good yeah we'll see if not i don't know we'll go from there but either way yeah it's funny the first five minutes six minutes of this video is going to be very typical modern builds but the next five minutes are all going to be like okay here's something that went wrong let's fix it okay that went great and then you know two more steps later it's like oh dang it something else went wrong let's figure that out but i mean i think that's never a bad thing as long as it's oh go ahead i was gonna say i think the good news is you're approaching it the right way regardless of what you do um, and that's, you know, rather than just like ignoring it or trying to fix it, if you know, there's not really a good fix is mm. in a way, kind of highlight it, highlight the mistake by making it a design element and doing something to it. I think that that forces you to think of things that you just wouldn't think of otherwise when you're, especially when you're in the initial planning stages of a project. Yeah. So is it a thing where when you sanded through the veneer, the the resin which is laminating the different layers of the plywood 
tends to have a little bit more orange color. And so is it looking like really orange right through where you kind of sand it through? Yeah, it's that really warm, like burnt orange. Exactly. Right. The Yeah, it's a very OSB kind of color. <laughs> yeah. That's, what's weird about it, too, is when you do that is how well it blends into the wood. I actually think there's some sort of opportunity to that, particularly with like – I've always thought it would be interesting to try like – so the, the pine veneer is – you know, it's a softwood, so it'll absorb water-based pigments and stains really well. The resin won't absorb anything. Right. So I've always thought there's a cool opportunity to take something like a light blue, like take a light blue paint, water it down a lot, and it'll like it'll look like a sunset. <laughs> I mean, not, not right for this project at all, <laughs> but like there, there's some way you could actually turn some sort of experiment like that into something that looks like a you know some sort of modern art painting or something where it's like a crayon resist. Right. You ever done that where you do the the wax and you do the watercolor over it and it only sticks to that part? Um, so there could eventually be some sort of cool experimental technique in there. Have you thought about doing any sort of film type overlays? Right. Like a like a heavy whitewash kind of paint. Um, as opposed to actually painting stuff on it. No, I really hadn't even considered it at all. Because w- one thing, if, uh, yeah, like a heavy whitewash paint or a diluted, you know, uh, paint. Now, again, it won't stick as well to the thing, but if you used an oil-based uh, paint and you kind of dilute it with paint thinner, lay it on and then do like a polyurethane over the top of that, mm. uh, you, you'd have to get pretty consistent with like a... a uh, a fine foam roller or a foam brush, but there, you you know I, you can get pretty cons- reasonably consistent with the sort of application, and it's sort of like a an Instagram filter where it's you know one of the ones where it kind of like makes it a little bit more hazy, yeah, just cools and down the brightens contrast. the whole thing, right? Um, so something like that might be worth trying on on a on a scrap too, uh, because dude, you painted the legs white, so definitely lowering the the contrast between the plywood and that might not be a bad thing either yeah it's funny i spent like all this time sanding and making sure i had like really clean plywood edges and all this kind of stuff and then i just go and whitewash everything so you can't see it that'd be pretty funny the edges will still show (laughs) even with the whitewash the the whitewash will actually exaggerate the edges okay so if that's the case do you think that where i sanded through the veneers would also kind of still stick out if i use something like that I would test it on a scrap. Yeah, I would. I would oversand half a scrap and, uh, and and take a look and see. And we have a ton of the whitewash uh, stuff at the house, so I would give that a try. I went through something similar recently, where I'm building out the the finished p- kind of furniture and trim pieces for the container house, and I'm using you know the flooring set the tone for the other material choices that I would make, and so I'm using a sort of a whitewashed, low saturated color uh, oak flooring, wide plank, and. So for the at first I was using the the Maker Brand uh, finish because it's the best, um, <laughs> but the Maker Brand finish uh, was creating a lot of color contrast because it was bringing up more the natural hues in the wood, which was looking very different from what the flooring was. So I, I was experimenting with some whitewashes, but I ran into like a weird sequence of events where uh, I didn't want to peg all the holes, and I was like, okay, I'm just going to use wood filler because there's a lot of stuff to do. This is more like basic you know, cabinet and trim sort of grade stuff. So I'll just use finished nailers uh, and, you know, putty over the top. But then I was thinking, it's like, if I assemble like this, like bookcase that then hangs on the wall, 
I didn't want to build it all and then whitewash it because I don't get as good of consistent kind of application of the whitewash when it's on a three-dimensional piece. It's much easier to get a real consistent finish on an individual plank of wood and then assemble it. Yeah, that makes but sense. But then I was like, if I whitewash the oak, I was looking at the uh, the colors of the putty that was available, and they had sort of a golden oak, a natural oak, and a totally white one. And I was like debating whether I should go with like the, the natural oak and then whitewash over the top of that again, but then it's going to be two layers over one part. So it's this weird kind of sequencing thing of the minute you sort of apply this this pigmented stain or film, but it's not the absolute last step because you don't want to do it over the whole three-dimensional project, it creates all these sort of like uh, <laughs> uh, mental sort of complications about what order uh, things are going to go in. The, the other thing that I thought relative when you started talking about that, you know, when you hit a hiccup, one thing that I've been trying to do more of is whenever I hit one of those things, my reaction is to try to just solve it really fast. Uh, and sometimes that works, but a lot of times I've like uh, expanded on the and compounded the, pro- the, the problem. And then I'm just like, and then that's really where the discouragement comes. <laughs> the discouragement for me comes not when there's an initial uh, challenge or mistake happens, but it's when the solution to that mistake makes the problem even bigger, yep. then I'm just like, <laughs> time to throw something across the room and give up. What I try to do now is, the minute I have a mistake, is to figure out what kind of mistake was it. Yeah. Was it a mistake of not having the right tool? Uh, when you try to cut something with the blade or the bit that's not quite the right size, but you don't want to go and get the other one either from the store or from a distance? Or is it one of like rushing things? Um and then what I've been trying to implement is I don't try to do a solution that's in line with the same concept of the mistake. Right. Right. Like uh, if, I, if I'm if i over sanding something because I'm using heavier sandpaper because it's all there, I won't try to fix it or even it out unless I actually have the thing to fix it. I'll stop it, go to the store, get the right thing and fix it. If it's a mistake where I was rushing or I didn't like calculate things out in advance, then I'll like, okay, if... if I'll wing it until winging it doesn't work, and then okay, now I have to do my hardcore homework. Yeah, that was that was sort of my my thought process too of with with the whole router situation. Of my my immediate response was like, I've already got the router right here. I've got walnut in the garage. Like, we'll, I'll just route out a groove. I'll throw in the thing. But like what you were saying is, if I did that, I would have been incredibly pissed off. I probably would have just been like, okay, I'm done with this project. Like this video is never coming out. <laughs> Uh, like if I started sanding that and then exposing more plywood edges after or plywood after that, but but yeah, I think I think the paint is good. Like we've mentioned on the podcast, Maker Brand, we're in the process right now of developing a furniture paint, and we've got some on hand at the house, so it'll be a good durability test. There you since go. these conference tables are going actually in, they're going in your sister's office bin in L.A. My other so, sister, uh, they're going to get used quite a bit and. It'll be a good durability test for that. So I'm all on the positive. And the other cool thing about it is since I am doing two tables with problem areas in two different locations, I have to come up with two different kind of paint schemes or two different design kind of concepts with what I'll do with it. Mm -hmm. So even though the build video really only shows me making one table, because what's the point? Right. At the end, I can show two different options of like, even though this went wrong, here's two different (laughs) kind of designs or paint layouts that you know could maybe be beneficial to somebody or at least you know show a little bit of variety so 
taking the negative and trying to spin it into a positive as much as possible. Yeah, you can say that the whole reason you made two is because you wanted to show different fixes that people might encounter when they're <laughs> making their own. Yeah. Oh, and really quick, Ben, when you were talking about your wood filler dilemma, and granted, this one doesn't completely apply, but it might be beneficial for some of the viewers out there. So obviously, sawdust and wood glue works pretty well, mm -hmm. but occasionally... I don't know. Sometimes I just like wood filler more because it sands a little bit easier and yep. it's a little less frustrating and messy. But like what you were saying, like sometimes that perfect tone isn't there. And a couple of weeks ago, I don't think I talked about this on the podcast, but uh, we had a, a a crew out because I was doing some stuff for Chevy for their New Roads magazine. And I was building a project for them and it was built out of oak, red oak. And whenever I went to the wood filler section, I saw that they had golden oak, which like what you were talking about is like that really ugly color that you think of with like 1970s and 80s cabinets. And then they just had natural, but real oak kind of sat in the middle somewhere. And so what I ended up doing is getting both of the wood fillers, pouring them out into a pile, but only half mixing them. And so whenever I applied it, there was like a little bit of a swirl. It almost looked like grain. Like the chocolate vanilla, so like a half and half soft ice cream kind of swirl. Yeah, I basically, yeah, I did the frozen yogurt of wood fillers here. And it worked out pretty well. So I don't know if that's a helpful tip for anyone in the world. Yeah, but yeah I'll give that a Take shot. it and run with it yeah, out the, there. Yeah. I tested the glue and sawdust thing, but the glue was resisting the whitewash too much. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Um, and the they're just the sawdust wasn't absorbing a, a, enough of it um, because it, the the pigment really needs to penetrate a little bit. I know you were whitewashing, but it's a similar thing. Whenever you're staining projects, I've yeah. never had very good luck with uh, sawdust and wood glue filler before yeah. staining. Yeah, it always makes a real messy, ugly seam. But that's pretty much uh, that's pretty much what's up with me. Staying positive, and apologies for not getting this video out last week. Like I said, but it'll be out. ASAP. What are you guys working on, Chris? So I guess I'll stick with the theme of uh, mess ups and I'll talk about my big mess up that I had this week. Oh, dang. So I'm working on a sort of follow up to the crayon table just because I got so many comments about it. I was like, you know, what? I am going to make one where I'm going to recess it down low. Go ahead. I'll pick back up. Sophomore slump. Yeah. <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> just kidding. <you>. Sorry. <laughs> Very nice. Um, so, yeah, I have it recessed down low, and then I have a thick layer of epoxy on top of it. And so this is actually like the first time that I've ever really worked with a, a substantial amount of epoxy. So get everything set up. I'm going to do the epoxy pour. <clears throat> I get everything all mixed up. I pour it in. I'm like, ah, not enough. Put a few more pumps in my cup, stir it up, pour it in. Ah, still not enough. <laughs> Put a few more right. pumps, pour it in. <laughs> yeah. Still not enough. Do one more time. So I ended up doing it four times. And I'm done. I'm sitting there thinking, you know, it's been like, I think I'm actually pouring the last one. And I'm like, did I stir it on the third time that I poured it? Oh, no. <laughs> so I, I hate when you can't remember something well, like that. Luckily, I was videotaping it. So I, oh. I go preview the, the file on my camera, and lo and behold, I did not stir it. Wow. I'm like, oh, crap. What am I going to do? So I'm like, oh, I got it. So I, I get a little stick. I go through, and I just start like mixing the whole thing back and forth because it's still all just liquid within the river. That'll be fine, right? No problem. What, what can I do at this point? Okay, I'm going to yeah. leave it. I'm going to go home. I hope it comes out fine. Uh, I actually called Industrial Maker Mike Clifford up because I know he's had this problem before, which he 
highlighted in uh, the pixel river table that he made. I think it was for the plywood challenge, actually, which we can talk yeah. about later. Um, and so I kind of got his expertise on what he did. Come back the next day, and it actually set up really well everywhere, except for there was like an 18-inch span where it just was like tacky, basically. Um, like the top probably eighth of an inch was just like tacky, but then under that it was hard. Mm. So I went to Home Depot and got like some alcohol and some lint-free cloths and basically just like gunked out as much of it as I could, uh, got the alcohol and just like wiped it all up as best as I could until it wasn't like sticky or tacky feeling anymore, sanded it with 80 grit along the whole thing and then poured in another coat. And like, I was amazed at like, you know, obviously it's going to fill in those scratches, but like it goes from so hazy to you pour that next coat on and it's just like crystal clear down to the bottom again. Wow. So I think it worked out. I'm going to do, I'm going to actually, after this, I'm going to go and do like the, the pretty cleanup sanding and see what it looks like. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I am kind of done because there's more to come after this, but I think to go with Ben's theme of like, what's the lesson I learned from that? And that is and I tend to do this a lot is don't be stingy with like stupid material things. Like mm, just yeah. put way more epoxy than you need. And if you end up wasting $5 or $10 worth of epoxy, who cares? Because that's a lot less detrimental than potentially messing up an entire top and four hours of your life. I've learned this through concrete projects uh, where it's even more exacerbated because concrete is really cheap. Is that yeah, you can you can be wasteful by trying not to be wasteful. Right, and that's I I run into that problem a lot. Um, so no, it's like it's having the extra over mixing, and then what I sort of developed doing it is I was doing so many concrete projects early on. I was you know at first I would over mix because I was new to it and I didn't want to not have enough. And with concrete mixing, it actually takes quite a quite a bit of time. Um, so there's there's you know, a big lag time where it's starting to set up while you're mixing <laughs> the amount that you didn't uh, properly provide the first time. So then, it, but the the other then, so I was trying to cut it too close after the first few projects. Then, because you know, the other thing with concrete, it's so heavy. So if you overmix, then you have this like 15 pounds of things that you got to get rid of, and you I'd have these like rocks. You have right. new rocks to take <laughs> new care rocks. Of. That's an old rock, buddy. <laughs> I would and uh, I would always fill up like a contractor garbage bag, and then it'd just be like fifteen pounds of concrete at the bottom. <laughs> it would always like tear through. And again, another thing of like where you rush one thing and it creates another problem later on when you pick up the garbage bag and the whole bottom tears out. <laughs> uh, so what I then started doing is I would make silicone molds, and I'd have them on hand for like little things, like the paver projects yeah, or the things, and I would take the excess and I'd make a couple pavers or a couple vases or a couple small items or coat hooks or the other little things every time I did a bigger project. Mm -hmm. So that way it was sort of, you know, I could, uh, or I would test like a different dye or a pigment with the concrete. So I just keep a bunch of, uh, clear plastic cups on hand. And then whenever I had extra concrete, with each one of those, I'd mix in a different ratio of a pigment and I would get these really nice samples where I could test the sort of pigment ratio. So I'd use it for creating sort of samples in the workshop. Uh, and then I'd write down the exact proportion. So I'd have these, uh, these clear things where if I was wanting to get a certain reddish color or a certain, uh, gray, uh, darkness, I could just look at the samples and, and do that. So yeah. there are ways to, uh, you know, you over prepare for the thing that's most important in this case, the table, which had a lot of prep work going into it. 
and then you figure out a way how to use the the little bit of waste from that sort of safety factor. Yeah, I already know, and I didn't even think about this until after, but, and I'm actually going to go and use more epoxy just to do this, is I want to try, like, pulling some in and then setting, uh, you guys know I'm recently obsessed with shoes again. I want to set the shoe in and see if I can, like, get the bottom, like, the, 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 the print, sole. yeah, the sole print or whatever, what do you call it, footprint, I don't know, um, the tread, to make an impression in it. And I was thinking, oh man, you could do some kind of cool project where it was like a subtle nod to like, for people that were into shoes, yeah, using the the sole print, the, footprint, the, whatever. The, the sneaker heads are are out there in masses, so I know. You know, actually, I think that's like a cool. Uh, yeah, I've been wanting to do some sort of cool sneaker box or some sort of shoe box where it's, it's kind of stackable, mm-hmm. um, so it could both store the shoes and keep dust off of them, but they could also sort of connect together to make almost like a shoe cabinet or a display cabinet or something like that. Nice. Um, Get featured on complex. I like it. <laughs> Hype piece, man. Joe Puma. Yeah. Okay. Chris, uh, before yeah. we go on, I want to rewind slightly. <laughs> so the project that you're doing now, the difference between the original crayon table. Uh-huh. So for the listeners that haven't seen that video yet, go watch it. But the original crayon table was you used the router to create a groove that was mm-hmm. essentially like a river table. You filled that with crayons as well as the dominoes. And then you just kind of like let that dry. The the crayons kind of hardened and cured, but they were, you know, like they can dent the same way a crayon Soft and can. Yeah, they're is as hard the reason, as a crayon. Right. Is that the reason you're doing epoxy now is because you want a harder finish? Yeah. So, I mean, basically, it was one of the ideas that I had going into that table. And then it's probably the most common question is how durable is this? Yeah. And my stance, honestly, is like, it's the type of table you wouldn't, make and put in an area where like oh this we need a lot of utility and we're gonna abuse this table like it's not for that purpose it's kind of like a sit there and look at this table kind of table and the crayon is plenty durable for that like it, mm-hmm. it's more durable than i think people think it is in their head like crayons are actually pretty hard you know if you gouge something into it yeah it would chip out or whatever um but with the epoxy it's going to be very durable um, I actually did a test piece because I have it so that the river or whatever goes all the way to the end. It's not enclosed within the table itself. So the end is actually exposed crayon on the wow. very bottom part of it. Does that make yeah. sense? Cause you're basically taking like a cross section of it. So I got the heat gun and I wanted to see if I could melt the crayon out of it and like have the, <laughs> the stuff stay on top and like a little bit comes out. But like I sat there with the heat gun, like right up next to it for a minute and mm-hmm. heat guns are, I don't even know what temperature they are, but they're like, if it was that hot, we would all be dead. Yeah. Put it out. You'd have bigger problems than a melting. So for the people that are saying, well, it's hard now, but wait until summer hits. Yeah, yeah. It, Just to basically, yeah, it, even though this part of it is exposed, like, it's not going to cause any problems. Myth oh, busted. and also, if you're one of those yeah. people, you suck. Like, yeah. <laughs> when you say something as a certainty that's not actually true, like, you are the worst. Yeah, even I've got a lot of comments about people just saying, like, well, what about when it gets hot? And I, was, I looked up the melting point for crayons, and it's like 140 degrees. And so if it gets 140 degrees in my house... We've got other concerns <laughs> exactly. in the table. Yeah, okay. that would be the least of my problems. So for this project, and I just want to make sure I understand it correctly, because okay. if I do understand it correctly, I've got a couple questions. Okay. You poured the crayons and then epoxy over it correct yeah so exactly the same as the last one except for the crayon was only like the first quarter inch and then there's like a half inch of 
epoxy on top. Not that much, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. So whenever epoxy cures, it makes a lot of heat. Did it heat up enough that it melted the crayon at all? Uh, if it did, it wasn't noticeable. Oh, like it might have like you know temporarily liquefied the top layer and then just solidified back up. But I didn't notice anything. Yeah. Because I'm just over here thinking like it would be cool if you had the crayons in there, but then la- layered the epoxy in and it started making some kind of swirl or something. But realistically, yeah. that's probably not just impractical, but it's probably like really unpredictable and yeah. like, annoying. It, yeah, I think it's kind of like actually I was talking to Johnny Builds about it, who mm-hmm. will be here by the time you're listening to this podcast. We're doing a collaboration. But uh, he actually had it start like smoking on him when he he tried to do a pour too thick and it yeah. generated so much heat that the wood started burning so um that happened to me on the on the white epoxy table i did too uh, like the cookie one yeah yeah i so i mean and it's it's probably one of those things that like maybe if you're a chemist you could really figure out like the optimal level but like who knows what that like you've gone too far versus you haven't gone far enough point is cool okay awesome well it sounds like a cool project when is that when is that video uh, it, to that probably out. won't come out for like a it might be like a week and a half because i got a bunch of other stuff i got to do before i can even get editing and i still have to finish it today awesome cool i'm looking forward to it ben you've been gone yeah i've been doing a little traveling i had to go back to boston i gave a talk at a tech company called uh hubspot um they're like a media and technology company that does a lot of marketing kind of stuff and uh yeah i did like a i think i don't know if it's going to be like a publicly available video but it was more about sort of social media tactics for businesses and how they should think about content production youtube and all those kind of things other than that i've been just still editing the the first container house video should come out either the end of this week or the week after yeah. So we what we're doing is we're creating a new channel. Um, so the channel will be called the the Modern Home Project. Um, there's it's currently up, so if you can find it, awesome. Subscribe, great. Um, but uh, none of the videos are live on it yet. We're still getting a little bit of approval stuff worked out with Home Depot before we we launch everything. And the sort of thinking for the new channel is, and I don't actually know if this is the best way to, to launch it, but it's the way I'm going to do it. And if it doesn't, well, who cares? I'll figure it out in the next house I build. Um, <laughs> so I, like I think YouTube, a YouTube channel is great for a series of contained videos. Whenever I've done multi-part videos, I always find that there's so many people that come in halfway into the series. Mm-hmm. It's not like Netflix. It's not like a very bingeable thing. Right. And even the way Netflix is set up, I was watching like a Netflix show the other night and I fell asleep the night before. So it was like three episodes <laughs> past where I needed to be. Yeah. And it's like Netflix makes it really hard to kind of find the episode navigation, right? So it's the opposite ergonomics for, you know, things. It's really set up to binge watch. And... I've used the series editor before with, with YouTube. I still find that it's not that sticky. Playlists are fine, but they Same don't problem, really kind of. Yeah. So I said, look, this this you know, there's there's no way to pack this all into one video, especially at the level of detail of information that I'm going into, and it would end up being like a four hour video. So uh, we're going to release it in about fifteen to twenty minute episodes. 
that cover sort of a different topic or stage of the construction process. And uh, I you know, still have editing to do on the last one, so we're not going to put it all out at once. We'll put out probably the first one or two and then uh, put out a new one every week. That also lets us get the new channel sort of up and monetized, uh, you know, after hopefully like the, the first couple videos. And then what we'll do on Homemade Modern is take a couple of the more DIY-friendly projects, like the way we did the patio pavers, because anyone could really do that. Not everyone's going to build a shipping container house. It's not... I did it as a DIY project, but it's not the level of DIY project that most normal, sane human beings are going to take on. Yeah. Um, So... Uh, I'll take some of the DIY projects, like maybe how I did that flooring inlay or how I did like the the backsplashes, which are kind of cool. And I'll put those on Homemade Modern and that will filter over to this uh, this channel to sort of build recognition for it. And then when the whole series is out, I'll probably do like just a 15-minute a sort of overview video that's sort of like a highlight video of the whole process start to finish, but mm-hmm. won't go into like depth of any one step of like, here's the thinking behind a structural system. And here's why we had to do it in a way that on the surface might not seem to make sense. Um, so a lot of editing and uh, those videos should be going out uh, soon. Other than that, I'm just in a lot of project planning mode for, uh, you know, it's funny. Everything's a vacation when you've been doing something else. So uh, I'm really looking forward to getting back into sort of weekly, just DIY basic woodworking projects. Um, so I've been hitting the sketchbook hard and sketching out a lot of ideas with some new techniques, some new materials, and uh, we got some some bangers coming up. I'm excited. That's killer. As Mike would say. <laughs> some bangers coming Dropping up. some heat. <laughs> That's cool. Well... This week we've been we were talking about a topic earlier, and we were just kind of going through some of the things that a lot of people either ask us about or email us about, DM us, and we kind of came to the conclusion it's time that we organize or start thinking about and organizing our next project challenge for the podcast. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's a lot of demand time. out there. I've been getting a lot of DMs about it lately. And apparently you guys have too. So uh, I don't know. I don't know where we start this. I don't know what our jumping well, off point is. So we've done two challenges so far. Yes. The yep. first was a two two-by-four challenge. Yep. And the second was the one-sheet of plywood challenge. So, so far, what our challenges have had in common is that they've been based on a unit of material. Yep. Yes. And what I like about that is that it's a... I really think of these challenges as a choose-your-own-adventure book. <laughs> um, and Because we all start at the same place. A unit of material that's accessible, that's not too expensive. So that's the sort of accessibility and everyone starts at the beginning kind of part of it. And then what we've seen with these things is that people go in all different directions. And then it's sort of, which is great because you see a breadth of technique, uh, creative ideas, design ideas, experimentation. But then in the sort of presentation at the end, a lot of people made videos or took really great photos that they posted on Instagram. You see everything sort of converging back to a point of uh, not comparison in a judgmental way, but a comparison in terms of sharing and reconnecting. Um, so sort of thinking from that, I would say what when we're trying to think, we've got a lot of suggestions for new challenge ideas. 
But I would say one of the things that I think is that I would like to sort of see in whatever we pick as the new one is a starting point that's not too expensive. Yep. Um, something that creates a lot of opportunities for experimentation um, and that doesn't require a lot of explanation. What I liked about the early challenges is that you can explain them in one or two sentences. Mm-hmm. And we've gotten a lot of suggestions for really complicated ones. Like, okay, so you got to use this, but you can only use these tools and then this. The To me, what's interesting about the challenge is creating the starting point for shared experience, not the cleverness of the rules. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, so here's one that I here's one that I got suggested to me, and I agree. I love the fact that like you say one sheet of plywood challenge or two two by four challenge, and the name of the challenge explains the rules basically. Yeah. And so someone suggested to me, you you guys should do the Craigslist free stuff challenge. So you go to the like free section of Craigslist, find what's on there, and then like upcycle something from it. Which I know is tough because not everyone has as good of a Craigslist as other people do, or I'm sure there's people in the world that don't even have a Craigslist. So that mm-hmm. could be a limiting factor, but I did like that as a starting point. The idea of like, it's, it was basically, uh, the broad concept was like an upcycle challenge, well, right? which I thought was neat. Let's uh, let's like back up and look at it from even further out and just Whoa. say like what we think are the ingredients that make up a good challenge. So like the number one, most important thing I would say is just accessibility. Yeah, make so it that, universal, right? Yeah, as many people as can participate it in, as can participate in it can. You know, there's totally. not limiting factors for people. Um, the next, I don't want to say most important thing, but um, something that I want to see or that I guess I think is important is that there's just something that thematically ties them together. So there is, I think there is a balance of being, you want it to be open-ended, but not so open-ended that it's just like a hodgepodge of there's nothing tying these projects together at all. Right. So mm. like the way, here's a good analogy for it, and it's not food. Uh-oh. So it, instead of us saying write a book, we're saying write an action book or write a drama book or something like that. We're giving you the genre, mm-hmm. but that's it, right? Yeah, that's a... Like, not too broad, but just that little bit of specificity that can tie everyone together. Wait, I think Ben's got a food analogy. No, I have a sports analogy. Oh, boy. <laughs> so, I, I like mixed martial arts. I, lo- I love watching the UFC. It's probably my favorite sport to watch. Mm-hmm. And But I still enjoy boxing, right? And boxing is a more constrained version of a combat sport. You can only use your, your hands, right? No elbows. And... So it's a it's more like the aficionados kind of combat sport because mm-hmm. there's there's more subtleties there's less chaos there's less uh, craziness, but I think the point where it'd go too far would be if you did like one handed boxing, right? yeah, <laughs> right, <laughs> where I, you know so that's that's where you know the distillation uh, of a few things can provide a different type of clarity, but when you do kind of overly contrived handicaps it just starts to get silly at some point and and on the other side of the coin if you don't have enough rules then you have people that are getting punched in the nuts (laughs) and no one wants to see that either so even so like a little bit of rules is is good a lot of rules maybe not i think the history of youtube videos would show that that's you know if you want to show ridiculousness i kind of think people do uh, want to see that but point taken that's true that's true what if we did a boxing tournament but you could only use two by four that'd be funny we all know that hacksaw jim duggan would win so foregone conclusion so 
let, let, let's just throw this out as a question, right? A lot of people have suggested limiting tools. And mm-hmm. my initial reaction to that is it's not an idea I like so much, and I, but I haven't thought about it enough to, to exclude it. But the reason why I think is that it takes away what I loved seeing about the plywood challenge is that you saw people do it with very few tools, do cool projects, and you saw people with a lot of tools do really yeah. cool projects. And I, I think like having people that do have those expertise that would be into the project have to tie one hand and do one-handed boxing instead right. of seeing more creative expressions that were specific to their context, yeah. I think would hurt the sort of commu- the the creative communal expression that we're trying to go for with the challenge. Yeah, I think also when you do tool limitation, where a lot of people will go with it is you end up trying to emulate something that took a lot of tools with few tools. So it's right. not necessarily evident in the end result just looking at the project. Right. But yeah, it, like it might be interesting like, oh, he was able to achieve this, but it doesn't come off in pictures. And especially since so much of these these challenges end up taking place on Instagram, it mm-hmm. probably wouldn't lend itself to that that well. So we, we know we could do another successful challenge based on a unit of material. Mm-hmm. So for the sake of brainstorming, you know, that that's a great position to fall back to. But for the sake of brainstorming, let's think of some other ways that we could sort of define a challenge where, again, we're trying to find that common ground. Uh, one of the ones that was suggested before, both amongst us and and from uh, audience members, was the idea of something around a technique. Yeah. So like a bent lamination challenge where it's not so much about the material. It's about an idea that we all know is capable of doing pretty amazing things. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, but a lot of woodworkers have, haven't have fully dabbled in or, or gone back or past initial sort of experimentation. Um, so it could be around a technique, um, or it even could be more of a design challenge where it's something about like uh, a type of geometry, right? We, you know, we do primarily orth, uh, orthogonal or rectilinear kind of designs. It's, you know, saying I wouldn't say something like the organic because that just sounds too hippie and cheesy. But you know, the the sort of curveball challenge where you we we literally are just sort of you know asking no right people angles. right or not. I wouldn't say no, but like just introduce more than what you normally would. But then that starts to get into the too broad category. Um, well, color. then you got color. You could. And I know this kind of almost falls back on unit of material, but you could do like the new rocks challenge, throw in concrete. <laughs> yeah, today's old rock day. How many times <laughs> am I going to tell you guys? Or 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 just or if you want to make that broad, you could say the dash, like adding a dash of something else, right? That and you can and that could be and that's sort of like the Craigslist thing. It can be that's the wild card, right? It's like mm-hmm. what you know you use primarily wood, but you add a. a you know, an accent of something else. You combine it with something else. Yeah, I do um, like that idea of like a pop of color being a challenge. Right. But I but I do worry that that's kind of a like a limiting factor as well because it's it, it's like go build something you would otherwise and then paint it. You know, it's kind of almost an afterthought challenge. It's cool whenever mm-hmm. the challenge or it's it's cool when the challenge is brought up in the inception of the project, like the plywood and two by four challenge, rather than being the final step in right. a cha- in a process. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's been other suggestions like, you know, no nails, uh, things based around like uh, rethinking joinery and connection details. 
Um, so, uh, you know, we're definitely open to suggestions. Uh, we want to hear them all. And uh, I'm sure a lot of them will be, you know, somewhat similar to each other. But that's good. You know, we'll... we'll It'll be good to see that that cross-section of a lot of people are suggesting this. That'll be good to know. Um, but yeah, so definitely hit us up. Let us know what you think. Um, we'll let, we'll probably revisit some of the, the other projects and, 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 and looking at the breadth of the projects, maybe try to find some challenge ideas there. Um, but I, I thought they were, you know, they've been, I think they're one of my favorite things that we've done with the podcast yeah is is create these sort of community driven design things and what i love about it too is that they've uh you know there's a few people now that i follow and check out their content on a regular basis that i became aware of through these things so mm-hmm. uh like oh so diy is like a great example um like now i sort of check out all his stuff and it was you know he sort of came to my attention through these challenges um so yeah let us know what you think Totally. I'll tell you right now, I'm still really leaning towards, I, I like the idea of a bent lamination challenge a lot. Mm-hmm. That one was one that we've been talking about for a long time, and I still really dig that. Right. Because it could be big, it could be small, it's, you could do it through you could do it through kerf cutting, you could do it through soaking veneers, some people are going to steam things, some things are going to uh, dry bend, yeah. and we know visually we'll see a lot of interesting shapes. Uh it's funny, uh, Home Depot sent me this crazy like hammock chair that's all made out of like pressure treated two by fours that are been you know ripped down to about an eighth of an inch and relaminated together. So it doesn't have to be this you know very fine grained you know super craftsman like stuff. You can use the cha- cheapest materials like two by fours uh, to cut, bend, and laminate. Heck, um, a lot of them are bent when you just pick them up from the store. <laughs> <I know. laughs> just that, get the ones to the bottom of the pile stuff. That's that's yeah. another interesting thing. You know, I uh, I left some when I was back in Boston. I checked out some of my storage units and stuff, and I had left some oak in there, and it's been there out in this unconditioned space, and it is so warped now because <laughs> <laughs> it's just like it was getting massive humidity in the in the, the the summer and then real dry cold conditions in the winter and it is like all over the place yeah. but it made me think i was like huh well i could even i could simulate even more extreme conditions and can i just actually deform something on purpose in a way like this um you know is is there a way where you take something that's normally seen as a destructive force like fire and they do like the shoshugiban finish that becomes an intentional thing. Uh, so it, it might be something where you're not actually cutting it up in the way that we obviously think, but you're actually just increasing natural warpage or you're really looking at the grain of the wood cutting away to actually accentuate the way that it, it, it sort of bends and twists and turns. Um, so there could be, there could be all sorts of ways to sort of approach this. And I think, I think what we would get to is some really good experimentation with something like this. Well, what's cool about the bent lamination project to me, and I think it's a good consideration overall, is I think it's awesome that I've seen the bent lamination projects you guys have done. Uh, Chris, you did the the like coat racks or the hat racks. Yeah. And Ben, you did that bike rack, correct? Yeah. A lot of racks. A lot of racks. But what I... <laughs> racks on racks. Um, what I thought was cool about both of those was those were basically... I don't know if they were your actual first bent lamination projects... 
Yeah. But whether they were like your first or your, you know, in your first five, they were really cool, really unique to what you normally do. And that was your first attempt. And so I like the idea of if it is a technique challenge, make it a technique where like first, second, third try, you're going to have success and not set people up for failure. Right. And then on the other side of the coin with bent lamination, there's plenty of people out there that are probably crazy good at it. And like that might be their thing. You know, they may be someone that watches and listens to us and they're just kings of bent lamination. And so from that respect, you know, we could do some sort of category of like first timers and experts. Right. That way the people that are getting into it, they don't have to feel intimidated by people that have experience. It can be this thing where it's like, we're all going to jump into this. We're going to try this new form of expression and give it a shot. Yeah, so, I, I, I never worry about expertise being an advantage because I think for every bit that expertise is an advantage, it's also a disadvantage because expertise also tends to result into sort of dogma yeah. or sacred truth, right? So if I approach a bent lamination project primarily out of wood, I have no qualms about, oh, you know what? I'm going to research carbon fiber and figure out a way to make things really thin and really strong whereas a traditional woodworker that dabbles in it might think of like fiberglass or these other additive things as like not true to the spirit of it and may exclude things that i'm actually like gung-ho about i might add steel into it for for reinforcement to do some really cool stuff i ain't playing by no rules like you know (laughs) so never let a lack of expertise stop you because it might actually increase what you experiment with uh you know uh whereas someone that has you know 10 years of of practice might have a bunch of boundaries or training wheels on their overall uh process that they're not fully aware of yeah the last thing i was going to say was that i think it is an interesting idea for a challenge just because it's also a technique that is kind of intimidating i would say like i know i put it off for a long time trying it and I still continue to put off doing bigger projects with it. Um, so it'd be a good opportunity for people to jump in and do something that might be a little bit out of their comfort zone that they didn't want to try. And I don't know, with a bunch of people doing it, there can be a sort of hive mind mentality there so people can gain a lot more from it than they would just venturing out on their own. Right. The other thing I think is interesting about it, have you heard of that cooking show on Netflix, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat? I've heard of it. I haven't seen it though. So just the title hey, of it, we're I like think, one person, Mike. Right, I know. The, the title of it's interesting because they're they're breaking food down into these different components, which is you know it's the variabilities between these different elements is what's creating a, a myriad of different flavors and textures and and types of enjoyment. But it's interesting to think of it from those technical aspects, and when you think about how you bend wood, there's you know it's like thinness, uh, pressure temperature, humidity, like all these things are sort of playing it. And people are going to approach that with such different combinations. Uh, and, you know, when I, when I thought about the, not just the the bent wood lamination experiments I've done, but even the way I've tried to like form leather with sort mm-hmm. of heat or pressure and vacuum bags and stuff like that, I think there could be a lot of fun stuff. And I also think some people could make really cool jigs for a project like this, whether it's making you know, wooden molds where they clamp it together, like our buddy uh, uh, Connor from uh, AO5 Studio with his with his really amazing bent lamination chairs. Or, you know, does somebody make a really cool vacuum rig, bag rig that works with a uh, shop vac? You know, that could be, the project could be in creating that sort of 
the the tool and then the the outcome's actually pretty simple from there. Big time. So anybody out there listening, let us know what you think of the Bent Lamination Project challenge. It could be a good one, could be a flop, or if you got any other ideas or suggestions, let us know. You can hit us up at Modern Builds, at Four Eyes Furniture, or at Benjamin Ueda individually, mm-hmm. but collectively, we are at Modern Maker Podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, oh wait, our obsessions. I was about to go right into our outro, guys. Oh boy. But either way, that's where you can reach us. <laughs> yeah. What do you guys? I've already got that with? part covered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was the What was the show you were watching, Ben? That you went to sleep on? Was it a good show or a bad show? Uh, the Punisher. <laughs> mm, yeah, that's why you went to sleep. It's okay, yeah. never mind. It's uh, it's 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 punishing. It's not great. Yeah, but uh, I think my favorite part is that the the actor is not very tall, or he doesn't appear to be. But like they put him in front of like a police lineup and they have like six four in it and it's like, bro, yeah, <laughs> like he's just just pulling a Vin Diesel. Um, yeah, it's it's it's. I think it's probably one of the better, or at least it appeals to me more than some of the other ones in that series because I like I like shows that kind of have uh, stakes. I mean, he still gets hit in the head like way too many times and doesn't appear to have CTE at like at all. Um, <laughs> but I've always had like a problem with like this the the vigilante shows where the guy is like doing incredibly violent things, but hey, he doesn't kill people like even if they're bad. Like shows this like incredible recklessness, but then at the last minute restraint. Um, I always just found that just a little bit unbelievable. Um, not as much as the the flying and superpower abilities, though. Um, so yeah, that was that was the one that I sort of passed out onto. It's very repetitive and not super inventive, but not bad if you just want to, yeah, see some good substitute for guns and violence. Xanax or I don't know whatever yeah. puts you to sleep. Nyquil. There we go. Let's go with Nyquil. <laughs> Why not? Awesome, Chris. What about you? Um, so something that I kind of talked about a little while ago, headphones, remember that whole saga Mm -hmm. when I was looking for a good pair of Bluetooth noise canceling headphones. So I got my pair that I love, but I also got two pairs of Isotunes. I got a pair of these like 3M work tunes ones. And so I I basically just went down the rabbit hole of like all different kinds of headphones that you could wear to work in, work in the shop in, um, so I'm thinking about doing, I want to do like some kind of review video, but I don't want to put it on YouTube because it just wouldn't make sense. So I was thinking about like, oh, would this be something good for Instagram TV? Or maybe I should just do like a really long stories with it. But I want to put some sort of, I feel like I've spent so much time like trying out these different headphones and like really testing them out in different situations using the table saw, sanding, like everything that you do within your shop that I want to make something with it. So I'm just trying to think of what's the best way to implement that. Man, I say you I say you make a YouTube video. Oh. Just throw it on throw it on the second channel. <laughs> Maybe, but I'll also put it on Instagram. Yeah. I don't know, man. <laughs> don't format anything for IGTV. That's just I'll probably, like I'll <laughs> I'll do it on regular IG. If you want 30 people to see it, do it for Instagram TV. Well, I could make it just a series of stories and then just highlight it so I could always drive people to it. It just yeah. be I don't know. I, I mean, like it could be and then it can be like pretty low production like I can literally just film myself talking about my experiences with them for five minutes or whatever and highlight that puppy. I like it. Have you tried any of them yet? Oh man, I've tried them all. I don't want to, I don't want to spoil it though. Okay. Well, I'm going to give you my take. Okay. 
Isotunes. They're freaking great. They're like really good. Well, you want to know my opinion? Wait I do. for the reveal. Uh, okay, cool. <laughs> well, we'll leave it there. We'll pick this up next week. That'll be that'll be we'll start off with what you're working on and it'll be that. Yeah, and I should say that I have no I've not worked with any of these companies. So this is going to be 100% opinion. Yep. Awesome. Um I'm going to shout out Bob from I like to make stuff. Who? Uh, yeah, Never exactly. heard of him. Who? <laughs> I'm sure the majority of people that are watching this are familiar with his content, but he's doing a bathroom remodel series. He put out part one this week. It's very good. Um, It's cool to see uh, more people doing more remodel content. I think that's awesome. It's really good that YouTube is getting a good library of that content. That way, you know, the more that's out there, the more people that can find it, which means the more people can find my bathroom remodels too, from a selfish perspective even. Um, but what I think is really cool about it is he's doing a 22-minute part one, oh, wow. which if anybody out there knows, like 22 minutes is how long a 30-minute TV, TV show is without commercials. So and that's interesting to see. Um, I don't know how well that's going to perform compared to if it were, you know, a quick, tight edit on a on a single part episode. But regardless, it's cool to see people experimenting with format like this, like what you're doing with the tiny house bin. Um, it's all really, really cool stuff. So shout out to Bob. Go check out his remodel of his master bathroom. Uh, part one is out now. I'm sure part two is out by the time this episode is live. So uh, big ups, and uh, I hope it goes well. And if you want to come hang out with all of us, uh, get a last minute ticket to WorkbenchCon. I think there's like a, just a, I think just a handful left. So uh, we booked our tickets. We're I'm getting into town a few days early. I think on February nineteenth. Uh, Mike, you're getting in that later that afternoon. Yep. Um, so yeah, come see us in Atlanta. It's going to be a blast. Very cool. So check out WorkbenchCon.com for tickets. Also, Mm. if you are not already using Maker Brand Simple Finish with wax for your furniture projects, you should be. Go to (laughs) go to. I was about to say go to (laughs) Modern. You're always sending people to you. I I just direct everything to ModernBuilds.com. I just direct everything to my own website. Uh, yeah, go to yeah, go to go makerbrandco.com. Check it out. You're gonna love it. And uh, if you don't, I don't know. What what happens if what happens it's if your they fault, get it and they not don't the love oils. it, Chris? Uh, I will again. personally apologize to their whole family. Okay, and uh, that's all I will do. All right. If you're looking for a personal apology from Chris, <laughs> no, I'm to joking. your whole family. Awesome. Uh, anyways, check that out. I'm sure you'll love it. We've been getting a lot of really cool feedback. In fact, I, uh, I wish I wrote down the list. I had three or four people talk to me about dining tables that they were working on this week. And I don't know why they were all dining tables. I thought that was funky. Uh, but they all used make a brand on them and they looked really great. So yeah, thanks everybody for the support. Finally, if you haven't, we appreciate a five-star review on the iTunes app. That just lets the app know that we are a good show and that they should suggest us to people that like similar content. Awesome. If you're not already, you should follow us. We are at Modern Builds, at Four Eyes Furniture, at Benjamin Ueda, and collectively at Modern Maker Podcast. Thanks, everybody, and we'll see you next time on the Modern Maker Podcast. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.